0: Hello, everybody. (laughs) Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. We're glad you're with us. We're in a series called You Have the Words, or You Have the Words of Life. This series uh, sort of comes from a... Um, an encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, and there's a very heavy teaching, and pretty much everybody leaves. Jesus has been following him, the crowds, um, because they don't understand what he's saying, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, are you guys going to go too? And Peter responds, Lord, where would you go? You have the words of life, of eternal life. And so um, I thought it would be uh, interesting for us, uh, I think it's fun, but might, to, to look at some of the things that Jesus said, and to sort of contemplate them, um, and my hope would be that as we talk about one here at work, uh, I mean at church, that during the week you would spend time thinking about that statement, and ask God to help you use your holy imaginations to really plug into and engage what's going on in the things that we're looking at, and, and that I think from that we, we gain a lot, and that it's, it's very exciting to, to dig into the Scripture that way, and to take just one statement like that in context, but take that statement and just dwell on it, for um, a period of time. And so that's my hope that as we do this, you would do that. And uh, so far, um, we've, we've looked at uh, uh, Jesus saying, What do you want? And I talked, you know, and I said, I really think the best answer when he asks us that is, Lord, I just want what you want. But we grow into that answer. And then we talked about priorities in our life, making sure that we, our main focus is the eternal and not the temporal. And, and, and he said, you know, stop making my father's house an emporium. Last week we, we looked at uh, him talking to Nicodemus and, and what it means to be born again and, and how important that is and what that's really all about. And we're going to look at, uh, at something brand new this week. That's the intro. Transition is always a bad joke. This is extremely bad. So a woman was taking an afternoon nap. She wakes up and she says to her husband, Hey, I just dreamed that you gave me a pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. What do you think it means? And he looks at her and he says, Well, you'll know tonight. And that evening the man came home with a small package and he gave it to his wife and she was delighted and she opened it. And once she opened the package she sh- inside, she found, she found a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. <clears throat> No, that's good. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> Scripture reading. It's a bad joke. Remember, anybody can find good jokes. John chapter 4. This is verses 4 through 26 so we can get part of uh, the context of the story of, uh, of the Samaritan woman. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Jesus says a lot in that passage, but what I really want to concentrate on this week and would ask you to consider this week is from verse 23, when Jesus says, Yet a time is coming, and is now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. A powerful, amazing statement um, that I, I think will just be very helpful for you to take some time and really think about what's going on in the process. Now, last week... To give you a little contrast, we, we talked about Nicodemus meeting Jesus. And this woman is a lot different than Nicodemus, which is why the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, includes these things um, so that we get a, an idea of uh, the concern in the heart of Jesus for all types of people. Now, Nicodemus was a religious uh, leader. He was a political leader of high stature, uh, and, and he would have prided himself on his apparent high morals. The woman at the well was a Samaritan, which was a group of people that had been outcast by the religious community. And, and um, she also had some other issues, which we'll get here into a minute. But let's talk about that first um, group of issues just quickly, um, because we read those scriptures and we wonder why the Jewish people had such an intense dislike of the Samaritans. And um, uh, I thought maybe we would just quickly hit on that so that you can sort of understand where that's coming from. And uh, how, how Jesus doesn't look at people the way that, that most people do so if you've ever wondered why um, the Jewish people didn't care for the Samaritans to the point where they avoided the whole area of Samaria they would go out of their way not to go anywhere near Samaria um, but Jesus went right through it because Jesus had this divine appointment and so he was going to meet it uh, he knew that he was going to encounter this woman uh, all along the way and she was worth the trip but why did they have so much trouble? Well, um, it actually stems from an event 700 years prior to this encounter uh, in 722 B.C. The Assyrians um, had laid siege to Samaria, which was then the capital of the ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom. And, and um, they they had um, laid siege to it and they had finally overcome it. And they took all of the people of Samaria, all of the Israelites who were there, into captivity, and they led them away. Now the Assyrians, they had a um, a way of doing things. They had a king whose name was Shalmaneser, Shalmaneser, and he, he see these. They would conquer these peoples, but then dealing with them was a big deal. Because they had an army that was good for conquering, but they couldn't go in there and then take care of everything. So they came up with a strategy where they would take the people they conquered from one place, and they'd take them into exile and put them in another place. And they'd take those other people that they had conquered, and they'd put them in this other place that they had just set free. So, um, And you can read all of this in 2 Kings 17. Actually, you should. It's pretty interesting. So you can find out what's going on, what I'm telling you about in the process so the king of Assyria he brings people from Babylon and um, from Hamath and from other places and he settles them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites so they take over Samaria so here's this new group of people in Samaria Well, um, they bring all their false gods with them and their false worship and um, what happens is that um, this isn't go over well and it says in 2 um, Kings 17.25, um, when they first lived there, they didn't worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. So these new people come in, and they're getting eaten by lions, which you can understand. doesn't go over very well with the brand new people. Um, if you moved into a new town, and you, you don't understand, right? So what they do is, um, the king says, listen, here's what you're going to do. Take one of the priests that was just exiled from Israel, send him back into Samaria, and have him teach these people... Uh, about the, the, the God of that area. And so that's and did what they, they did that. They took one of the captured priests, they brought him back in, and he began to teach them about um, the things of God. So they sort of worshipped God, but they also continued all their horrible false worship. And so they had this big mess, uh, the Samaritans did, of this false worship that had sort of some of God in it. Um, they had their own, um, they, they kept the first five books that we, we talked about uh, of, of, of the Old Testament. They had that, but they had really messed it up. And because they had polluted it so badly, and because they knew this was the, the, the Jewish people knew this was what had taken place 700 years before, they would have nothing to do with them. So, so that's helpful in this story. That's also very helpful in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, because they can't even mention the Good Samaritan in that parable when Jesus talks about him. Um, the guys that are listening to it, the religious leaders, cannot deal with the Samaritans. So so this woman was one of these people, hated by the people of Israel, gone out of the way. Further, um, she was an outcast in her own community. So she was part of an outcast community. Within that outcast community, she was an outcast. And we know that because she sat the well by herself at a funny hour of the day. The, the, the women of the community would have gone together to draw water from this well. It would have been a big, for safety's sake, and, and it was a very sort of, uh, part of their daily kind of, um, you know, time to be together. They would all go out to the well together and draw water. She was not invited. So she was out there by herself at a funny hour of the day. And, and so this encounter, now just set up, is from, um, this, just so you can get the picture, that the that, uh, you know, Holy Spirit is painting here. Um, this is a person who, who not only is from a sort of an outcast people, she's outcast of the outcasts. So that's what's taking place. Now, having that in mind, here's what we're going to do. Point one, I want to talk briefly about the amazing grace of God because it's, it's such a display of His love. John 4, 7 through 10. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, If you only knew the gift of God that's available to you, living water, eternal life, grace, and that all you need to do is ask and that he'll give it to you. What Jesus is telling the the woman, the Samaritan woman, just like he did with Nicodemus, is that God's dealings with humanity are on the basis of grace. It's not about how good they are. It's not about how bad they are. God deals with humanity on the basis of grace. Our relationship with God is not about what we do, but on what God is willing to do for us. So, what Jesus is demonstrating in this in this whole scenario is that what we have to do, and even in the chapter before, point two, we have to put away the labels. We have to put away the labels. Um, because what Jesus does, and we talk about this often, is that Jesus always sees the beauty of potential in people. So he did it with Nicodemus, and he's doing it with this woman at the well. He always sees the beauty of their potential. He doesn't label and go with their labels, good or bad. He just looks at them, and he sees the beauty of their potential. He doesn't treat them according with their labels, good or bad. Uh, He doesn't doesn't put uh, labels on people according to society or the community or or anything else. He just deals with them on, on the potential that they have in the Lord. Then he says this to her in verse 16 through 19. Because he knows all about her. He says, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I always, I always like that sort of story. She's, she's caught. She knows she's caught. But Jesus isn't treating her badly. She's she's caught red-handed in the kind of life that she's living, uh, and she sort of tries to change the subject, which is what what you would normally do when you're caught. You want to kind of change the subject, and she, she says, "Well, you guys say we're supposed to do this on this mountain; these other people are supposed to do that, but but you need to know that that she's she's uh, she's lovingly caught. She's not running away. She's not hiding. She's standing right there. Jesus is just sort of." you know, let her know that he knows everything about her and how she's lived and he understands that she's there at the well all by herself because she's an outcast in her community in a community that's been outcast and and he's, he's just standing there with her talking to her and and he's offering her the hope of life just the way he did with Nicodemus when he came to him and see, here comes this then picture of in spirit and truth and the thing that I said we want to talk about verse 23 and 24 Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And see, here's, here's what's so amazing about, about Jesus. When he encountered Nicodemus, when we talked about that last week, he stressed with him that all stand condemned before God. And Nicodemus, who was a very religious man and took pride in his keeping of the law, he didn't recognize his need for the grace of God. The woman at the well, however, she's well aware of the fact that she's a sinner. And so Jesus doesn't talk to her about condemnation. He talks to her about worship. And here's why. See, Nicodemus, in order to to know Jesus, needed to see himself as a sinner in order to understand grace. But this woman who knows that she's a sinner, she needs to see herself as a person of worth and value. And so what Jesus does with her is invites her to be a worshiper of God. It's an amazing picture of the grace of God in his efforts to reach out to people. And it's a picture of of the amazing grace of God. And if you were with us last week in John 6, remember Jesus said this to Nicodemus, "...that which is born of the flesh is flesh." That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And I said last week, when we become born again, we become spiritually alive. We have a, a now a living Spirit. And so we can worship then in Spirit. And our spirits are alive, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And, and His ministry is that He helps us to see and embrace truth, and the truth is Jesus. And so these things all begin to work together. In us, we we understand our need for Jesus, and and we say yes to Him, and, and and believe in all that He's done. And we talked about that last week. And and then we're we're saved. We're born again. We're born of the Spirit. We're born anew. We're born from above, and now we can worship God because we're spiritually alive, and and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us helps us to know that Jesus is in fact the truth, and He's constantly pointing us that process. The result of that, that's point number 4. And this encounter is it's amazing because because remember who this woman is? John 4:25 and 26. The woman said, "I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us." Then Jesus declared, "I who speak to you am he." Huge. He See, now he, identi- he's, he's, he spends all sorts of time not telling people who he is. In this encounter to this woman, he goes, Okay, that's me. I love that. Because he's, he's, he's hard pressing, if you would, but hard pursuing is a better word, this woman in the kingdom of God. Outcast woman from an outcast society. And he's letting her know that God wants her to be a worshiper and to come to know him in life. And so, and remember last week I showed you what happened with Nicodemus at the end, and he was there with Joseph Arth- Arimathea and took the body off the cross. Look what happens to this woman after this encounter. Verse 28, then, leaving her water jar, forgetting the entire reason that she come behind, the woman goes back to town and says to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. See, something so significant had already impacted this woman that this woman who was an outcast goes back to town and says, hey, you gotta meet this guy I just met. He'll change everything that you can even possibly imagine. And they all go out to meet him. And, and, and so she actually becomes this amazingly effective evangelist in the journey. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did. It's, what a picture. She goes from the town outcast to having a significant part in sparking a revival in Samaria among a people whom the established religious community didn't, didn't, wouldn't even have anything to do with. It's a picture of the love of God. It's a picture of the grace that He extends to us. It's a picture of how He pursues us, no matter where we are, and how desperately we need Him, no matter where we are in life, whether we think we've got it all figured out and we're like Nicodemus and you know, we pride ourselves on getting everything right, or, or when we realize that we, we're so far at the other end of the spectrum and, and we wonder if we have any worth or value at all, and yet Jesus comes and He encounters everyone and brings them to the place where they can know Him forever. Because he wants worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. So think about that this week, if you would, and just kind of, again, use your holy imagination. Put yourself in that encounter. You know, the disciples couldn't even figure out what was going on. They'd gone off to buy food. They didn't even know why they were in this place. Why are we going this way? Think about how it would have been in that process. Here's this meeting going on they can't figure out. And and let that just sort of stir in you how amazing God is and, and you know so that, that we're always having our, our stereotypes challenged and broken down so that we can be effective in the things that God calls us to and we can know this amazing grace and love that God has for us wherever we're at on our journeys so think about those things this week and we'll, we'll pick it up uh, on, on another thing that Jesus says next week But that's pretty good for today. If you're watching my video or on TV, thank you. We appreciate you doing that. We'd love for you to come and hang out with us here. Um, If you need prayer, though, go to our website, and uh, there's a space just for prayer, and we'd be happy to pray for you. And we look forward to seeing you all soon.